All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you weren't here last week, I hope that you'll get the recording. They're out on the table outside, or you can download it from the website. And we looked at this passage, and this is such an amazing text. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And so the, His demonstration of His love for them is in what follows. And what uh, we looked at what Alexander McLaren said last week, at how this is a genuine expression of the perfect heart. And this is, we all want, when we say goodbye, we want those moments to be precious moments, to be special moments. And I can't remember if I told you this or not, but when my mom was about to pass away, she revived for a brief period of time. And when I walked in, she looked up, and she had a tracheotomy, so she, I couldn't hear her, but she mouthed, my preacher, my preacher. That was a very special moment for me. We want our parting moments to be special moments. Even those of us who are not very good at emotional expressions. Right? Now, some people are very good at emotional expressions. Others are not. But even those of us who are not, we do want parting moments to be special moments. And Jesus Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. These next four or five chapters are all cover about six hours of time. Jesus Christ is getting ready to, to die on the cross, be buried, rise from the dead, and then ascend to the right hand of the Father. Verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he, after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So he clothed himself in the form of a servant and took their filth on him. That's what's happening here. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us as he came to earth and died on the cross. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know after, hereafter. It, Peter just didn't understand what was going on. Jesus told him he eventually would. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter, this pendulum swing is so funny. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is such an amazing passage of Scripture. And the fact that Jesus himself would humble himself in this way and then even humble himself further and, and go through the death of the cross for us. Lord, it, it is... It, it is beyond comprehension. And yet there are some things that you want us to learn from this, and we hope that we will learn some of those this morning. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see a couple of things from this text this morning, and then next week we're going to be in this passage and some others again. But what I want you to see, first of all, is the absolute necessity of cleansing. The absolute necessity of cleansing. What did Jesus Christ say in verse, or Peter said in verse 8, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Thou hast no part with me. How many of you have ever heard, We're all God's children? You ever heard somebody say that? We're not. We're not. There are only two families in the world. There's God's family and there's Satan's family. Jesus said to the Pharisees, You're of your father the devil, and his works you do. You're of your father the devil. There's only one way for God to be your Father, and that is to accept Jesus Christ the Son. When you accept Jesus Christ the Son, then you become one with Jesus Christ, and you become an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Then you become a part 
of Jesus. How do you become a part of Jesus? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. That is the body of Christ. You, you are placed in Christ Jesus at salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is you are being saved from something. Have you ever been saved from something? Maybe saved from marrying the wrong person? Saved from a car accident? Uh, saved from a plane crash? Saved from something horrible? Saved from a fire? Well, in the Bible, that is the use of the word saved. The Bible says that there are people that come through the tribulation period that are saved alive through the tribulation period. That's not eternal salvation. They're saved alive. The Bible talks about Joseph, how he was sent to Egypt by the, the, the duplicity and the nefarious deeds of his brothers. And yet through that, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And through Joseph being in the kingdom and rising to the second most powerful person in the Egyptian government, the Bible says at the end of the book of Genesis that Joseph was able to save many people alive. So the word saved, it means just what you would think, that you're saved from death. Well, the word salvation in the Bible is the same thing. You are saved from death. You are saved from eternal death, and you are given eternal life. The Bible says, and as is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. We are all going to die and then there is a judgment. You either stand before the judgment seat of Christ where Jesus Christ judges those who are His own based on what they have done for Him and they receive rewards or lose rewards, but they go to heaven. That's the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment that takes place in the book of Revelation chapter 20, that's for all of those who have not received Christ and there's only one penalty. There's only one judgment and that is the lake of fire forever which the Bible calls the second death. So you have salvation. You are saved from eternal death, eternal punishment, eternal torment. That's what salvation is. Anybody saved here today? Amen. I'm so glad. I am so glad that if I died today, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm just so thankful for that. And you know what I'm very, I am very much aware of? I, mean, I don't deserve it. There are, there are people who are not even born again who are better people than me. I don't deserve to be saved from hell. That's why it's called a gift. That's why the Bible uses grace. So salvation is vital. But the only way that, again, let's look at the text. Verse 8 again, or verse, verse 9, uh, <laughs> verse 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now, if you don't have a part with Jesus Christ, you can't go to heaven. You can't be a part of the family of God. You can't be saved. You've got to have a, be a part. And what's the only way that you can be a part of Him? Is if you're washed by Him. Is if you're washed. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's what salvation is. That's what salvation is. It is having your sin washed away, completely removed. Isn't that awesome? It's the absolute necessity of cleansing. Jesus Christ said, um, let's, let's look at it. Matthew chapter, keep your place here in John, but go to Matthew 26. Look at verse 26, Matthew 26, 26. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Just look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. And uh, you're going to want a Bible because we're going to be all over the Scriptures today. So Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, did he give them his arm to chew on? No. It's not cannibalism. Y'all know why cannibals don't eat clowns? Because they taste funny. This is this is not. That's a great joke right there. That is, 
the, the cannibal that ate the missionary, he got a taste of religion, right? This is not cannibalism, all right? This is a picture. Jesus Christ is giving them a picture. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, that, that blood was used to remit our sins. Now that word remission means to set aside. It's moved away from you. Your sin is not applied to your account. And I want you to see the absolute necessity of cleansing. Go to 1 John chapter 1. So all the way back at the end of your Bible, 1 John. Chapter 1. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from what kind of sin? All sin. So what does that mean? That, that the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no sin that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. Jesus Christ's blood can cleanse us from all sin. So if you're saved, all of your sin is cleansed. It's all washed away. We're clean. Isn't that wonderful? We're completely clean. So I want you to see, first of all, the absolute necessity of cleansing. Go back to John 13. <clears throat> and again there in verse 8, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So the absolute necessity of cleansing. The second thing that I want you to see is the absolute fallenness of this world. The absolute fallenness of this world. Every person, regardless of your level of spiritual growth, the Bible describes people. Go to go to back to First John, chapter one or chapter two. I probably should have told you to stay there, but First John chapter two, familiar passage. This gives us the levels of spiritual growth. So look at verse twelve, First John chapter two, verse twelve. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. What, what does a little child know? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? A little child just knows that, that their sins are washed away. Now, y'all look up at, here at me for just a second. Lots of parties going on. Lots of things happening. Lots of yard work being done. And here's what I'm looking at. I promise I'll be short today. I'm always short. But I promise the message, like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. Okay? I promise that, that this is not going to be long, but it really is important that we get this. So, so tune in with me. Focus. Don't be staring out the windows. Just, just stay with me for just a minute, and I promise you it'll be worth it. All right? So 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So what's the difference? The little child knows his sins are forgiven. It's about, so the little child, salvation is about me. When a person is a father, a full-grown believer, they know salvation is about him. Right? I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Mark Trotter, I remember him preaching on this text, and he said, the young men in the faith. That's like you watch the guys in the letter jackets walking through the mall. You know, they are realizing their own strength. They think they're tough. And then dad comes along and helps them realize they're not quite as tough as they thought they were. You know, we call that old man strength, right? A guy works for 25 years. You're a little stronger than a guy that's been working out for six months. But the, here's the young man, he's starting to feel his strength. He can, and you watch the boys. It's amazing how many times a young man will reach up and touch the lentil of the door. Why? Why do they do that? Because they can now. It's a great accomplishment. I, I like to jump up and hang on the basketball rim just to show you all that... No, I don't do that. But anyway, 
What is that? That's that young man. He's got a little strength. And so the, the young man in spiritual terms is the person that's realizing that Jesus Christ is in them. They have the power of the Holy Spirit. They really are overcoming the wicked one in their lives and in their daily walk. All right? That's this group. So look at what it says in verse uh, 12, or verse 13. I write unto you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. That is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Now look at what it says. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So what does he want all three of these groups to know? I've re- I'm writing unto all three of you. And we have all three of those groups represented here. Some of you are new believers. Some of you, you, you got some strength in the faith. Some of you really know God. It's not a matter of age. It's a matter of where you have grown in the Lord. There have been people that have been saved for 40 years and they're still little children in the faith. There are other people that have been saved for five years and they really know God. It's not about how long you've been saved. It's about where you are in your spiritual development and maturity. But God gives the same message to all three of those groups. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, all of you graduates, those of you that are graduating this year, raise your hand for me. I'm going to see where you are. All of you graduates. Okay? All right. Now, Mackenzie's hiding back there because she knows I'll talk to them like this. Okay, so here, here's the deal. Graduates, you have the whole world before you. And that's an exciting thing. It's awesome to look out at all the possibilities. Of course, when you're, I was your age, I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be an archaeologist. I was going to be a, a, a business owner. I, I had all of these different I, I had no idea what I was going to do when I was your age. Um, but honestly... Remember I told you last week or the week before, my mom had convinced me that I could do anything, even hang on the basketball rim. She, to, to mom, I could do anything, and that was awesome because I really did feel like that the whole world was before me. And I hope that you all feel like the whole world is before you. But I also want you to know what this passage says. All right, look at the next verse, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's really important that you see this. And and notice who he says that it's the last time to. Look at what he says in verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. All right, so there's lots of false teachers. There's lots of things that are trying to get your attention and move you away from Jesus Christ and and, and away from the truth. Now, let me make a couple of things clear. Every good and precious gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. God wants you to have every good and precious thing that he created. Isn't that wonderful? God wants you to have good things. God wants you to have life. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to just have a wonderful life. You know, sometimes you think, well, if I, if I tell God I'm going to serve him, he's going to send me to Africa. Right? And most of us would be a missionary if we could go to Waikiki. Right? That's, that's not the case. If, if God wants you to go to Africa, he'll make that the desire of your heart. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He'll give you the spiritual appetite to do what he wants you to do. I can't imagine doing anything other than preaching. I I can't imagine doing anything other than what... I love this. I love teaching God's Word. I love watching someone, Dave McCracken, a pastor that I worked for. He said, there's nothing better than seeing someone's light come on. Where you're teaching and they go, you want their eyes, I get it. There's nothing better than that. And you school teachers, I know you feel the same way, like in algebra. My teacher never saw that light come on. It was never <laughs> dull. It was burned out. There's no hope. But th- that's what God does is he gives you the desire to do what he wants you to do. And so while we recognize that this world is fallen and sinful, God wants us to have happiness and joy doing what he wants us to do in this world. Is that right? And so we need to understand two things. The absolute necessity of cleansing. The absolute necessity of having our sins washed away. Every one of us needs that. Is that right? 
Every person who ever lived other than Jesus Christ needed to have their sins washed away. But I also want you to recognize the absolute fallenness of this world. And every person at every level needs to be reminded of this. Be careful what you love. Be careful what you love. There's nothing wrong with golf. But if I love golf more than I love Jesus, then that's a problem. Right? You heard about the preacher that he just loved to play golf, and it was it was a beautiful Sunday morning. It hadn't been a beautiful Sunday morning in a long time, so he called in sick and went and played golf. How many think that's funny? A preacher would call in sick and go play golf. So he gets up on the third hole, par three, gets up and hits a hole in one. Angel looks at the Lord and says, Lord, why did you do that? He said, who's he going to tell? <laughs> if somehow... Golf comes between me and the Lord. Now golf is a bad thing, right? If hunting, and I know you're supposed to say hunting, but if hunting or fishing, those are good things, right? You can provide food. You can, you know, make sure the animal population is where it's supposed. There's lots of good things that come from hunting. Amen? There's good things, but what if it takes you away from the Lord? For three months out of the year or whatever, however long your particular season is, you're not in church. Now it's a problem. Now you've taken something you've taken something that's good and you've made it something that's bad. You can do it with any of our habits, any of our sports, any of our interests. Scrapbooking is simply evil. There's no redeeming characteristics to that. But if you if scrapbooking is your thing and it, it overtakes your life, then that becomes an evil thing. Does that make sense? Are y'all following me on that? So you graduates, here's the thing. Pursue things that are good. God will give you abilities and talents and desires. Make sure that whatever that is, you are using that for the Lord. But here's the thing that you have to understand. The world that you are functioning in is fallen. It's evil. It's sinful. And it's getting worse and worse. Worser and worser. Now, look at... Uh, go back to chapter to John 13. So number one, the absolute necessity of cleansing. Number two, the absolute fallenness of this world. And then I want you to see the absolute reality of transference. The absolute reality of transference. If you walk through a mud puddle, what happens? You get mud on you. Right? If you're in a sandstorm, you're going to get sand on you. If you're in a snowstorm, you're going to get snow on you. It doesn't matter. If you're out you know, mucking the stalls, you're going to get muck on you. Is that right? Now, look at what happened here in verse in verse uh, 8. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now look at verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. And I'm going to point some stuff out on that next week. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So what is Jesus Christ saying here? He goes on to say, you should have washed my feet. And of course, that was the tradition at that time. Why? Because they're wearing sandals or they're barefoot and they're walking through the filth of the world. And so when you come in, you're getting ready to eat. They're not putting their feet under a table. They're all laying down, you know, propped up on pillows and your dirty feet could be in someone else's face while they're trying to eat. How many of you think that's a bummer? Right? Okay. What kind of cars did they drive then? We know it's a Honda. They were all in one accord. But besides that, what kind of car or what kind of vehicle did they drive? One horsepower cars. Or, you know, they're animals. Right? What kind of exhaust? There's methane, very dangerous, right? And there are other things. And that's what's on the ground. That's what's on the roads. That's what's on the paths. And it's mingled everywhere. And it's filthy. 
It's filthy. That's what's on their feet. It's impossible to walk through that and not pick some of it up. How many of you get that? So it's the absolute reality of transference. What is this passage talking about? Jesus said, you've got to wash your feet. And then Peter, again, verse 9, Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto, or Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. So what's that talking about? Jesus Christ said, If you believe in me, you're completely clean. If you believe in me, you're completely clean. Every whit. Now, the not all, you're, you're clean, but not all. That was about Judas. Judas wasn't saved. He wasn't washed. So not all of the disciples were completely clean. But if you're saved, you are completely clean. It's like this. You get up and you take a bath, take your shower, you get ready, and Fifi needs to go for a walk. And so you go out, take off your shoes, and you, you go out in the yard and you take Fifi for a walk. You come back in. Do you take a complete bath? No, you wipe off your feet. You clean your feet. Why? Because you're clean. It's just your feet got dirty because you went outside and you walked around. What this passage is teaching us very clearly is all of us, that absolute reality of transference, all of us who are believers, as we walk through the world, we get dirty. We get dirty through attitudes. We get dirty through uh, the influence of just whether saved or unsaved, the influence of worldliness in this present, the Bible describes it, in this present evil world. The world is sinful. And so what are we supposed to do? We need to be aware of our walk. We need to be aware of what happens as we walk through the world. Okay, so now get your Bible. We're just going to go through some verses real quick, and then we'll be done. Go to Romans chapter 6. Let me be very clear. This is not for salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. You can't lose it. And we're going to see that as we look at our walk. What shall we say then? So we're in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Who? Talk about who. Who's going to continue in sin? People who have been saved. If you're saved, you can make a choice. Continue in sin or follow the Lord. Right? So how are we going to do that? Go to chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. We're just going to get an overview of what the Bible says about our walk. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we talked about that. How do you get in Christ Jesus? The Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ when you are saved, when you're born again, when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone. Therefore, there, therefore, uh, huh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk af not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So the only person that can walk in the Spirit is the person that's in Jesus Christ. So how many of you are saved? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Well, then you have the ability through the Spirit to walk in the Spirit. What's that going to do? That's going to make you look different than the rest of the world. You're going to walk different many times than, than you want to. You're going to walk the way that Christ wants you Two, look at verse 13, chapter 8, verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit, uh, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when I'm walking the way that I'm supposed to walk according to the Spirit, what does that do? That gives me confidence and assurance that God is my Savior. Heaven is my home. I've got a purpose in my life. And what's that going to do? That's going to give me that abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised me. But if I live after the world, I could die. Okay, as a saved man, I'm born again. I know for sure that I'm saved. If I start smoking crack and OD, I'm going to die. Is that right? 
That's very clear. If I become an alcoholic and I go or get drunk and go out and drive my car and I cross the lane and hit somebody head on, I could die. Why? Because I'm not living, I'm not walking the way that I'm supposed to walk. It's very clear. So living for the living a life of sin still brings consequences. Here's what we say. God built consequences into the universe. Whether you believe in gravity or not, you jump off the building, you're going to get squished. Right? That's, it doesn't matter whether what you believe, those are laws of the universe. Right? You live a life of homosexuality, you're going to get sick. It's going to be bad for your body. Why? That's built into the universe. God said that they bear it in their body, Romans chapter 1. It's, it's not a good lifestyle. It's not healthy for you. And what does it do? It leads to death. It's, it's bad for you. If a saved person goes into that lifestyle, they could die just like a lost person, but they would still go to heaven. Let me be very clear here. There's probably someone here that doesn't believe that a homosexual could go to heaven. You're just wrong. You're just wrong. Why? Because Jesus Christ's blood cleanses us from what sins? Every sin against homosexuality? No! All sin. All sin. And yet, young people, you decide to live a life that violates the laws of God, you will bear in your body the results of that sin. That's your walk. That's your walk. All right? Go to chapter 14, Romans 14, and verse 15. Okay? Romans 14. Look at verse 14 for the context. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So this is, this is a, a Jewish situation where some meat you could eat and some meat you couldn't. Some meat was rendered clean, some meat was considered unclean. So for a Christian, you can eat any meat that you want to eat. That's what the Bible says. To all of you vegetarians, nana, nana, nana. Okay, verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. Let me be very clear on something. I can do anything I want to do. I'm saved. I get to go to heaven. I can do anything I want to do. Let me be very clear. That means anything. All things are lawful for me. I can do... It's real quiet. Because we're still under the bondage of legalism as Christians. If I'm saved, I am going to heaven regardless of what I do. I can do anything that I want to do. But it's not expedient. It's not good for me. I could still die here on the earth. I could have a terrible life. How many of you have seen Christians make bad decisions and their whole, life, their whole family, their, their life, their future is destroyed? I've seen preachers go into immorality and everything they've given their life to, everything they've prepared for, it's gone. They lose it all. It's gone. That person's still saved, but they've lost everything in this world. It's horrible. I've seen, I've seen people get mad. Christians get mad at each other. They end up being divorced. Then you see the for sale signs going up. Kids, God only knows where the kids are. And it's a nightmare because two people couldn't get along because of pride. They lose their homes. How many of you have seen that happen? You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's your walk. I can do anything I want, but if, if my liberty causes A.J. Hickman to walk away from the Lord, then I am not walking charitably. There's a way that I am supposed to walk. I'm not supposed to do anything that will cause a weaker brother to stumble. But let's step back. But I'm not supposed to be a weaker brother either. There's nothing that you could do. Listen, there should be nothing that you would do that would cause me to stumble. Because my faith is not in you. My faith is in Jesus Christ. There are two sides to the same coin. Two sides to the same coin. All right, then go with me to 1 Corinthians 3. Our walk. Why do we need to wash our feet? Because of the absolute reality of transference, which sets up again the absolute necessity of cleansing. All right? Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Now, carnal, you know, that's flesh. Carnal as even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Can you imagine trying to give a steak to a six-month-old? They'll choke on it, right? 
Well, that's what happens with, an un, with a, just a new Christian. They can't handle a lot of truth. But eventually, you should be able to handle the truth. All right? I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So as a Christian, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. We're not supposed to walk in a worldly way. Let me give you an example. Okay, you girls. You girls. It's very important. You can wear whatever you want to wear. If you're saved, you can go to heaven. doesn't matter what you want to wear. You can dress like a prostitute if you want to and go to heaven. How many of you think that's a good idea? I heard what someone I heard someone say recently. These girls walked by, and he said, "I wonder what prostitutes wear now." Because the average high school girl dresses like a prostitute used to. It's really quiet in here. It's amazing. People don't like it when the preacher talks like this anymore. Can I get some help? The average high school girl dresses the way a prostitute used to. You never saw cleavage before. You just, it, it, it wasn't seen. How about yoga pants? Might as well be naked. Right? So you girls, you can wear that stuff. You can do that and go to heaven. But do you think that might cause a young man to stumble? That's not walking charitably. That's very selfish. I want them to look at me. I don't think I am pretty enough, so I need them to see my body so I can get attention. Walk charitably. Walk charitably. Young guys, it may seem real cool to get in the car and floor it and, you know, drive like an idiot until you kill somebody. You are, you can get in the car and drive like an idiot and still go to heaven. As a matter of fact, you might get there very quickly. But what if you take one of your lost buddies with you and that guy goes straight to hell because you're an idiot? Our walk. Our walk. Our walk. Let's live like believers. Believers, if we get angry and mad at another believer and act like an idiot, well, then there are lost people that have been looking up to us as spiritual people, and now we look worse than their unsaved friends. We're, our walk. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure that we wash our feet regularly because we're picking up the detritus of the world on every step that we take in this world. We need to be different. Look at Second Corinthians 5. Let me be real clear on something. I am, uh, I am really working as a part of our Grace 2.0 of being very careful in my speech and to only say things like I just said on purpose. I heard Ravi Zacharias say, a gentleman is one who would never hurt someone unintentionally. Amen? These are things that need to be said. They need to be said in our culture you know, I, I hear people say it's so hard to go to the mall and buy clothes. How I many of you ever heard someone say that? And it's true. And like I've always said, Laura, it's so wonderful for Laura that there's that special pastor's wife store at the mall. How many of you know that store's not there? So what do you do? You just find clothes that fit you. Look, if you're a size 6 and you have to buy a size 14 to remain modest... No one's looking at the label. How many of you noticed that T-shirts, a large, a lady's large T-shirt is about this big? Is that true? Is it true? The world wants to influence you. The world wants to influence you. Young men, the culture of modern music will lead you to think that it's okay to live like an animal. It's not, you'll, you can still go to heaven. Again, you just might go there sooner and take other people to hell. It, it's so important that you get this. This is all real. It's also very, very real. Our walk in this world. 
Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're not supposed to walk the way that we see everyone else walking. We're supposed to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be different from the world. Go to chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 2. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some. Which, think of us, now look, as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, so they're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So my thinking, however the world is influencing my thinking, I need to make sure, I need to compare that to the Word of God. Am I allowing the news media to be higher in my mind than God? Am I allowing the culture to be higher in my mind than the Word of God? Am I allowing my friends to be higher in my mind than the Word of God? Well, those are strongholds then that need to be pulled down and the Word of God needs to be exalted in my mind. That teaches me how to walk. I don't walk in a fleshly way. I walk in a spiritual way. I live in a godly way. I dress in a godly way. I speak in a godly way. I drive in a godly way. Pray for me. All right? Now, go to Galatians 5. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Isn't that what we've just been talking about? For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Don't you think of that snake that's eating its own tail? You know, that's kind of what's being described there. Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I've got this idea. How about we take the Holy Spirit to the mall with us when we go shopping? Right? We take the Holy Spirit to the ball field with us when we play ball. We take the Holy Spirit to, what, to work with us when we're working. We, all, we just need to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So look, if you want to live for the Lord, but you're walking in the flesh, you're not going to be able to live for the Lord. You can't do both at the same time. Go to Ephesians 2, 2. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Let me ask you this. How many of you knew that you were walking the way the devil wanted you to walk? Is this what the Bible says they were doing? They were walking the way Satan wanted them to walk, according to the course of this world. Remember the picture we use is when you go to Disney World or whatever, the kids can drive the cars on that one ride. They have the brake pedal and the gas, and they can drive because it's on a rail. They have a little bit of leeway, but it's on the rail. That's the course of Disney World. <laughs> Satan wants you to go according to the course of the world. So you think you've been doing what you want to do, but you've been walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Is that what the Bible says? Is that, is that real clear? It's very clear. Look at verse 10. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, we're not supposed to walk like the world. We're supposed to walk in good works. Supposed to walk the way that God wants us to walk. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. 
God wants us to walk. There's only one faith. There's only one religion. There's only one God. There's only one. That's the way that we're supposed to walk. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that as Christians, as believers, it is possible for us to walk just the same way that lost people walk in the vanity of their mind. What is that? Completely oblivious. Don't you love those videos of somebody texting? You know, and walking off a cliff or falling in a, a well. or That's hilarious. There's a woman, there's a video. How many saw the video of the woman at the mall? She walks in, she falls in the fountain. And she sued the mall because they didn't make allowance for idiots. What was she doing? She was walking in the vanity of her mind, oblivious. I can do what I want. It doesn't matter where I do it, when I do it. This is my life. No one can tell me what I am supposed to do. You graduates, you know, you're 18. You're getting ready to go out into the world and make your own decisions. Now that you can make your own, I can do whatever I want. I can dress however I want. I can walk however I want. I can drive however I want. I can spend money however I want. I can do whatever I, yeah, you can. But if you do it that way, what are you doing? That's the vanity of your mind. That's ignorance. Walk in wisdom, the Bible says, to those who are without. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So you can walk ignorantly and think that you're in charge or or you can walk in the Spirit and walk the way that God wants you to walk. Look at chapter 5 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So how are we supposed to walk? We're supposed to walk in love. I need to make sure that however I walk demonstrates the love of Christ to other people. I need to walk sacrificially. What is that? Let the other person go before you. Walk sacrificially and then live a life that is a sacrifice to God. The way that I live, the way that I walk in this world is a part of my worship to the Lord. Look at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How are we going to do that? Well, you've got to wash your feet. You've got to wash that world off of your feet. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. And look at verse 9, that you, or verse 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the way he wants us to walk. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein, with thanksgiving. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Mortify, that's put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, civil, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So all you believers, don't walk like you used to walk. Allow God to make a change in your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. You need to walk like this world's not the end. Amen? Understand, Jesus Christ is coming back. Look at chapter 4 verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. How many of you want to have a great life? Well, then walk the way you're supposed to walk. God will help you abound. You'll have more and more of what God wants you to have as far as joy and peace, all of those things. Let's finish up with this, First John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. 
Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Remember, the first thing He said was, let there be light. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's very important that you get this. This book is written to people that already believe in Jesus. So I am completely sinless before God in Jesus Christ. My spirit is completely clean. My body and my walk is still full of sin. So if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Go back to John 13. Verse 10, Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean. Look, if you're saved, you're clean. You stand before God completely righteous. But if you're living in this world, you're picking up the sinfulness of this world in your walk, in your thought processes, in your decisions. What do you need to do? You need to make sure that you wash your feet. You're not getting saved over and over again. You're realizing that this world is influencing you. And you need to live for Him. Amen? Why did Jesus wash their feet? He was teaching them a lesson. He was teaching them a lesson. What is the lesson? The absolute transference. If you're in this world, you're going to pick up the sinfulness of this world. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word.